Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of Morning Coffee, because finally, as promised, uh, ever since the heady early days when I decided to do a podcast before I foolishly fell ill and all sense of schedule and productivity fell by the wayside, we finally have a guest on board. Uh, I'm very lucky to be joined today by PJ Montgomery. Hello, sir. Hello. Hello. How are you doing, John? I'm, I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, as we were just talking off air, we've had a few technical difficulties, but now everything seems to be working fine. Um, as as you know, a man who needs no introduction, but for <laughs> for sake of talking, I, I will give the man an introduction. Um, sometimes there are people who come into your life, and you can instantly remember how you met, hmm. where you know where you were when that happened. Like you know, the, the moment the clouds parted and sun shone down. Others you can't. Others. They are like a presence, like the tide, like the turning of the, of the planet, have always been there, reliable, comforting. Uh, I feel this is where PJ falls into <laughs> uh, my life, because I cannot for the life of me remember how we met. But I can, I, I can always remember you being there. You just feel like you've always been a presence uh, in my comics life, as it were. I remember uh, exactly when we met. Oh, good grief. Are you going to embarrass me now? It was uh, it was a Bristol Comic Con uh, a few years ago um, when you were um, selling Volume 1 of Afterlife, Inc., and we were there with Stiffs, and we were opposite each other. And oh, you goodness. had your banner with all your characters on it, and I was looking at the characters going, I love these guys. I want to know more about them. So I approached the table, and then it spiraled from there. And the rest is history. Is. I mean... Because uh, the thing about, like, because uh, obviously you are in illustrious company with the Stiffs crew. Uh, is there another name for your collective, as it were? You want the... The Stiff Stack. The sti- oh, the Stiff Stack. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Stiffs, in a nutshell, and I hope I'm not doing it a disservice by uh, pitching it in this manner, is about uh, zombies in South Wales. Yes. And uh, a talking monkey and... Uh, the shenanigans that follow, and it is uh, truthfully to date one of the funniest comics I've ever read. Oh, thank you very uh, much. Well, it, it's it's true. I wouldn't say if it weren't true. I I absolutely love it to bits. Um, there is a certain joke, I believe, in episode or issue two revolving around dolphins. Yes, and uh, the viewing of certain videos involving dolphins yes. online, and uh, it killed me. It absolutely killed me. And it, it's uh, it's natural in a way which. Uh, so many, I feel, works of art aspire to be, but don't quite manage. Uh, it just feels like, hey, these are real people in South Wales who just so happen to be fighting zombies. Which is and- what we were going for. Um, so I'm very glad you uh, you said that. Though I do have to say that the joke you're particularly fond of from issue two, uh, that actually did come from the mind of, of Drew Davis, one of my co-writers on the book. So uh, he can take the credit for that one. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, I, I guess now you said it, I'm like, yeah, that probably would be a a Drew. <laughs> uh, I, don't care. I do, I do, I do greatly enjoy having a Drew on my uh, on my Facebook feed. He's such a he's a gloriously concentrated ball of of anger and uh, energy on occasion. Oh, he really is. It's fantastic. He's quite joyous to have around. Um, also, because um, I think also appearing in the comic himself is Joe, yep. another member of the team. Uh, do you are you do you, do you feel you are represented in Stiffs? I um I'm not at the moment. Now um the thing with Stiffs is it started out as stories Drew and subsequently myself were writing back in the days when MySpace was still a thing. 
Oh, wow. Uh, and we wrote them about ourselves, fictionalized accounts of us fighting zombies with our friends. And then sort of eventually we decided, well, let's turn this into a comic, but we'll fictionalize it further, take, obviously take ourselves out, bring in other characters. Um, and the character that was me in the stories that we sort of changed into this new character is coming into it in issue four. And much as I've tried to argue against it, the rest of them seem to think that it needs to be drawn to look like me. So I believe I will be appearing against my will in issue four. I see. And, uh, and fame and undoubtedly fan art will follow. Well, you know, I don't like to, to predict the future, but of course, well, I have to ask then, some of the other characters in Stiffs who obviously aren't based on the creative team, uh, are they real people you know back home? Um, they're sort of amalgamations. Um, obviously, as I say, when we when we came to start writing the comic, we did want to move it away from being people we knew. But in order to write people who felt real, you do have to go back to, to your experiences. So, of course, we have sort of put elements of some of our friends into those characters. Um, most of the characters will can trace their origins, if you like, back to maybe two or three different people that we know who we've sort of taken traits from, uh, and then other stuff we've just plucked from our own heads. But there's certainly elements of them being people we know, though so far in the book, the only one who actually looks like one of us is, uh, is the character of uh, John, who does bear an uncanny resemblance to Joe Glass, yes. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like these, these odd little coincidences which occur. Um, so aside from Stiffs, uh, what else do you feel you would be known for? What is like, if we were going to direct listeners to your body of work, uh, what else? I mean, aside from the Kickstarter, which of course we're going to talk yes. about in a minute, but anything else you're particularly proud of? Um, yes, I uh, I wrote a short story uh, for Joe Glass's other other book, uh, The Pride. He's got the main series, um, The Pride itself, which uh, is about a, a group of LGBT superheroes. But then he has a spin-off book called Pride Adventures, which is an anthology title where every issue has three or four short stories focusing on some of the individual characters. Uh and I wrote a story for issue two of that, just a fun little team-up story between two of the characters uh, stopping a bank robbery, um, which I just had fun with. I didn't set out to do anything other than basically tell a fun little superhero story with a little bit of action and a little bit of humour. Um, mm-hmm. was very lucky to get it illustrated by uh, Christian Wild Goose, who has now just been announced as the new artist on Batgirl, so... That's quite cool. Um, that's the that's the kind of six degrees of separation you want in your life. Exactly. It? It's like, yeah. It's, oh yeah, yeah. No, I knew him before he was. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm I'm very proud of that story. So uh, and and uh, yeah, it did everything I set out to do with it. And then I guess the other thing I would uh, I I'd mention is um, the online sitcom radio sitcom uh, Supermarket Matters. The in-ear entertainment oh, wow. who put out a lot of audio books and sort of audio uh, entertainment products. It was one of the first things they did, and I wrote a couple of episodes in the first series, a couple of Christmas specials, and then a couple of episodes in the second series as well. And um, they're all, again, just just trying to have fun with that. Um, and I'm quite proud of the work uh, work I did on them, particularly an episode that uh, – takes the basically does die hard in a supermarket in south wales so so how uh were, were they people you knew like uh 
by you know in person or online how did that connection uh, i did about? know um mark chatterley who sort of founded and, and runs in ear entertainment um he and i were at university together and when he was looking for writers for for the sitcom he approached me um and I wasn't 100% sure at first, and I sort of said, well, I'll try one episode, and then I, I ended up, I think, writing more episodes for it than anyone else has done. So, uh, but yeah, no, it was good fun. Oh, cool. I, well, exa- I've not actually heard of that one. I mean, because I think I've kind of, like, I've, you know, I've been watching various things you've been working on and picking up your various books, but no, I certainly hadn't heard of uh, your foray into radio plays. I feel this is something I should be, I should be checking out. It actually, that one... I think came out around the same time we were launching issue one of stiffs, but we didn't obviously that didn't have a comic convention presence or anything like that. So that was just purely being put out there online and on Twitter and Facebook. And the first two series were recorded very quick succession and we Mm. haven't done any more of it since then. So it's not really something I've, uh, I've pushed online in recent years, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's worth checking out. Oh, cool. Well, exactly. I'm glad. I'm glad it's something. Uh, you know, another another notch on the creative belt, as it were. But um, of course, now the reason uh, we've got you on the show today, not you know, just to talk about what a wonderful person you are and your, <laughs> your amazing body of work, but um, this is really going to be the first in what I'm tentatively calling uh, the Kickstarter Diaries. Mm. Like, I'd like to kind of talk to people who have run Kickstarter campaigns, uh, be they successful or otherwise, and to kind of just talk about their experiences and, and feelings about turning to crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. And um, I know, um, obviously, you know, you, you have run a, a fairly successful one of your own, and uh, I'm hoping we can kind of mine your brain for some valuable resources for the future generations here. So I guess as a kind of introduction, to uh, your Kickstarter thing. I'm going to ask you a few brief questions mm-hmm. and then we're going to go into it in more detail. Yeah, sure. Okay, so right off the bat, what was the name of your Kickstarter project? Uh, it's called Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. Okay, and can you give us a brief little elevator pitch of what it was all about? Uh, yes, I can. So uh, a lot of listeners, I would hope, may be familiar with fighting fantasy books. They were really big in the mid to late 80s, Um so choose your own adventure, but with the extra element of, of dice and stats, especially a one-player role-playing game, effectively. So there were hundreds of the well, 50, 60 of these books. Um, <laughs> hundreds. Not that I'm prone to exaggeration. More, more than most. More than most. <laughs> yes. Um, but they were all, a lot of them were all set in the same world, a, play, uh, a world called Titan. And at one point, one of the co-creators of Fighting Fantasy, Steve Jackson, actually released a novel set in that world, uh, featuring characters and locations that had appeared in some of the game books called The Trolltooth Wars. Now, obviously, I'd been a big fan of the books uh, all my life um, and sort of always thought that Trolltooth Wars might be something be quite good to adapt into a graphic novel. Uh, and long story short, that's what I've done. Um, so I've, I've got got the rights off Steve Jackson and, uh, yeah, wrote the script, and that's that's what the Kickstarter was, to fund a graphic novel of his fighting fantasy novel. And it was kind of like you know approaching it with your unique skills, as it were, to to turn this into a comic, yeah. to you know turn this into sequential art. So, uh, how much were you looking to raise? Uh, our initial goal was um, fourteen thousand five hundred pounds, which is a lot and of what- money, I know, but um, it, it was that was the minimum amount we could uh, we could make this book for. Well, you see, now maybe we'll touch on this later about what can be 
considered a lot or a little amount of money. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's kind of, I guess, from maybe the perspective of like the UK indie comic scene, maybe that does seem like a lot of money, but certainly compared to some projects that are run, that's not, you know, that's not a crazy target to be running for. Yeah. Um, I think that there's an element of, because I'm very aware that Stiff's is a very cult book. The people who love it, do they love it. Stiff's fans really are behind the book and, and, and very much enjoy it. But it's sort of hit a point where we're struggling to raise the awareness of it outside of the existing fans. Um, so with that, I would say that I'm not really as big a name in indie comics as some others. So for me to be asking for that amount of money, it did feel like I was asking for quite a lot. It's funny, isn't it? No, and I have, I have, um, I have a lot of thoughts on this. So we will, we will put a pin in that and come back to mm-hmm. this. But um, as a next question, now, what would that money have been used for? What were you aiming to fund specifically? Well, the graphic novel, um, once I'd written the script, came in at uh, I think one hundred and thirty-one, hundred thirty-two pages, um, and the bulk of that money was to pay. Gavin Mitchell, who's uh, the artist on the book, to pay him for drawing it. That that was going to be the biggest expense uh, within there, because obviously he get has to get a page rate for it. Um, he's not going to draw that many pages for for free, of course. Um, so the bulk of it was for that. Then print costs as well within that, and then obviously you've got all your other little things when you run a Kickstarter, Kickstarter fees, postage and packaging. Um, the other rewards that you're offering. So, but mm-hmm. the largest portion of it was the art and the printing. And I guess the final question is: Did you reach your goal? I mean, I think I've alluded to this before. But... <laughs> uh, yes, we did. We actually went over it. Um, I think our final tally was uh, fifteen thousand four hundred and seventy-two pounds. Oh, fantastic! Well, okay. Well, I guess. With that preliminary kind of fact sheet out of the way, I'm actually going to rewind now a little bit in time because I think we've talked about your work before. But just, you know, to put everything in perspective, just so we can appreciate the grand design here. What are your origins in comics? Like, how did you how did you start down this crazy path that we're all on? <laughs> um, well, I've always wanted to be a writer, Um since I was three or four, I was going around telling everyone I was going to be a writer and it's, it just sort of stuck. Um, I started reading comics, uh, quite late compared to a lot of other people. Actually. Um, it was in the early nineties when the X-Men cartoon was on air. Yeah. Uh, that's what got me into the X-Men and subsequently found the comics and that's what sort of got me reading them. But I didn't really start thinking about writing comics um, until, um, well, until after I graduated from university, actually, when I was at university, I was sort of more thinking of being a, a screenwriter, um, to film TV, that sort of thing. Uh, but did, then uh, did you study some form of writing degree, if you don't mind me asking. I, I did part of my degree. I, I have a degree in humanities, uh, which oh. is almost meaningless, uh, but a lot of the modules I did within that were creative writing ones. So I did did study some of that at university, yeah. Well, it's not, I mean, it's a bit more relevant. I have a degree in biological sciences. That's not, you know, <laughs> to my writing, but no. So um, 
So you were kind of like, uh, you know, you, you studied this perhaps with the thoughts of, you know, you could pursue some avenues of writing professionally, kind of. Yeah. Afterwards. Um, at the time, I was thinking, um, as I said, screenwriting and, and perhaps novels as well. Although I'll be honest, I've, I've never been that good at prose. Um, I've tried and it just, I can never get it how I would like it to be. So I've sort of ended up putting that on the back burner. But it was a couple of years later, I um, met a couple of comic writers and just got talking to them, uh, some of the indie writers um, at Bristol Comic Con. I was just talking to them and I started thinking, Do you know what, I think I could, uh, I think I could maybe turn some of the ideas I'd had for uh, screen plays, have a look at maybe re reassessing them and doing them as, as short comic stories. So I tried it with one of them, wrote a script for it, um, that actually did end up eventually getting drawn uh, by Steve Penfold and uh, ended up in the Cardiff Comic-Con anthology last year. Um, but I thought, actually, no, this is I, this is, I, I like working in this way. And it's probably going to be easier for me to produce an indie comic than to produce an indie movie. So I just started slowly moving that way with, with the writing. And um, yeah, that's it, really. That's how I got into it. Well, it's interesting because I think much like me, as you kind of said, you your first exposure to comics was maybe like, you know, American superhero yeah. comics. I mean, how did, I guess, your young perception of how the comics industry worked, how did that kind of... How did your expectations match up with the reality of, of kind of like the indie scene in the UK? Um, did you ever, did you ever imagine that you would end up kind of self-publishing a comic? Like the kind of moment you thought, oh, I'm going to make comics. You know, what, how do you think that worked normally? Did you think, oh, you know, uh, I'll go the publishing route. I'll try and get picked up there or... I'll just make something off my own back. The honest answer is I, I don't think I ever really thought about it in any great detail. Um, I think I just, the, the first thing I thought about doing was, well, because the, I, when I started thinking about getting into comics was when I discovered the indie comic scene. So the first time I thought about doing a comic, I thought, well, I'll just do my own. The arrogance just there, just, <laughs> I'll just do it. Um, not thinking no, about the bad. difficulties of doing it, how it would, <laughs> uh, you know, I was young. Um, but no, I, I never really thought about the industry or trying to break in through Marvel or DC or any of the big, big established names. Um, I always sort of thought, well, I'll try and get my own stuff off the ground first and, and see what happens. Mm. Uh, and I'm still trying to do that. <laughs> well, to be fair, it's probably, probably healthier in the long run. You know, it's, uh, it's a very, uh, I think I think I've you know something I've kind of felt you know in myself as well. It's a very kind of needy industry. Yes, you know it's a real kind of like oh gosh, you know I want to be noticed. I want to kind of you're always kind of like hoping for that fairy godmother to kind of like reach down and pluck you up and out of obscurity. And I've got to say, like actually, just doing it is is probably one of the healthiest yeah. responses. Actually, kind of not. I feel like I've always just been waiting for someone to do it for me. And when there was no one to do it, it was like oh damn it, I guess we're gonna have to. <laughs> Might as well just get on with it and yeah. start kind of making comics. Yeah. Well, well, okay. So from there, you, I mean, what kind of year was that when you kind of thought, you know, first encountered, had that fateful encounter with Ooh, comic creators? Uh, probably sort of 2005, 2006-ish. I graduated okay, university right. in 2003. Um, so, yeah, probably about three years after that, after a number of aborted attempts to either start getting 
films going or or it won't get a disastrous case trying to get a theatre company going. That didn't happen. didn't work at all. Um, yeah. Was, if, yeah, well, you, you, I, I pre- I do, you don't... Uh, you don't aim small. I've got to say that. I do appreciate your. Uh, your <laughs> I think, but there, there, because I didn't know in a way. There's, I think there was a naivety uh, to what I was trying to do. Certainly not just thinking, well, other people have done it. Why can't I? Um, exactly. But not. And I, I mean that. I'm sorry. I wasn't joking before when I say it, it is very admirable <laughs> because sometimes, like, uh, I wonder if like success is just not knowing what's impossible or kind of like just if no one told you you couldn't do something you probably just go and do yeah. it and yeah. yeah i think if if i was approaching any of that today it would be completely different and i would be struggling to I, i'd be giving up before i started on on some of the things i tried uh, in my in my youth but uh, yeah it, uh, back then it was just a case of well why can't i so i i just went for it and then yeah, I think it was about three years later when I uh, ended up at Bristol uh, Bristol Comic Con, which I'd actually gone to to meet creators, some of the indie creators that uh, I'd been told about by someone in a comic shop. They'd said, oh, have you seen this? I, I didn't really know about the indie comic scene at that point. And I said, no, I haven't had a look at it. And, oh, these guys are there. So I just went, and that was my first exposure to indie comics. And again, naivety of youth, I can do that. So... Yeah, that was it. It's weird because I know Bristol Comic Con was or, or Comic Expo, whatever it's officially called. Uh, that was my first ever con- mm. uh, convention experience, and I think I think I think for me it was two thousand and oh, good grief, when was it eight? <laughs> no, heck, when did I? No, no, I tell you, it was two thousand and five. There was every chance we could have been at the exact same yeah. show. Yeah, and I, I I was just like I was at university at the time, and I was just. You know, first ever comic convention, and yeah, and it was just so crazy to learn that there were people actually making comics. I think for me, that was the big revelation. It was this idea that it's not just American creators, yes. like across the pond. It's like there is this whole homegrown industry of people making this incredibly weird and wonderful stuff, which you just you couldn't see anywhere else. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, exactly. So, how long then before you know, as you're going along that path, how long from saying Hey, hang on a minute! I could make a comic. Uh, how? When then did uh, you team up with Joe and Drew? Like, when did when did that come about? Uh, it would have been, I think, the following years. Bristol Comic Con. Actually, Drew and I at this point had already been writing these these stories on MySpace, and um, we went to the the three of us went to Bristol Comic Con um, the following year for a very specific reason that I now can't remember. <laughs> I know we went there for a reason, but I just, I don't know what it was, but that was actually the first time I ever met Joe as well. He was friends with Drew already and I knew Drew oh, okay. and uh, I said to Drew, well, let's go to the comic con. And he went to mind if I bring my friend Joe, of course not, it's fine. Um, but it was over lunch at Bristol comic con that year that we started thinking, well, we'd quite like, what can we do for a comic? And we realized we had these stories and it would just take a little bit of changing them, just a little bit of tweaking some details and some characters here and there. And we had a comic. Uh, and that was really the genesis of it. Um, soon after that, the three of us actually ended up living together, and um, which made it very easy to get together for writing sessions. So that was uh, that was really the genesis of Stiffs. 
it's, it's a wonderful aid to uh, productivity, isn't it? When you're all under one roof yes. and uh, you can't run away. Uh, so how did uh, how did Gavin enter the scene then? We were looking for an artist, um, and we we we'd approached a number of people who we either couldn't afford or just weren't didn't have time. Um, and I have to say, it was really Joe who uh, he was because Joe dabbles in art himself. Uh, sometimes he'll draw uh, draw things, and I think he's better than he thinks he is at it. But he was on a lot of different artist websites. And I think he and Gavin, I believe, had a mutual friend anyway. And Gavin was at university in Aberystwyth at this point uh, doing an art degree. And uh, I think the mutual friend said to Joe, well, why don't you check out this guy? So Joe did, got in touch with Gavin uh, that way. And Gavin really liked the idea. And it was actually, it was pretty fortuitous because he was very in sync with what we were trying to do with the book as as writers. He got it straight away. Um, and we actually found him very easy to work with on it. Uh, and funny enough, he actually used a lot of his pages for stiffs towards his degree. So, um, oh, wow. yeah, that was it was simply mutual friend, right right person at the right time. Well, it's funny because, like, having seen, you know, all four of you together, like, I, I just assumed that maybe Gavin had been there from the beginning, that, you know, he'd kind of been part of your, like, original friendship group because you all just seemed to get on so well. It does feel that way. Uh, but, no, if it weren't for Stiffs, we might not have met him. So thanks for that, Stiffs. Com- comics kind of bringing people together. Yeah. So um, when did, I guess, Kickstarter even come to your attention like when did that kind of rear its head and you thought maybe not even for the troll tooth wars but when did you think oh this is an option like you know there are things we can there are ways we can i don't know get more capital up up front than we would ever be able to raise on our own well i first found out about kickstarter when uh, some friends of mine who had contributed to an anthology book um called um the sleepless phoenix uh, the book had been cancelled by the people who were going to put it out. So all the creators got together and started backing it on Kickstarter. Now, I knew a couple of the writers involved and one of the artists, um, and I'd actually – one of the stories involved a lot of dead bodies, and the writer and the artist had collaborated to say, well, why don't we offer people we know, get them in it. So I was one of the dead bodies in that story. So I really oh, wanted wow. to see the comic. Um, Finally, like, uh, you know, the role, the role of a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. So um, I saw them linked to Kickstarter. I went on, had a look, and went, oh, okay, this is how this works, backed it. Um, and then I think over the next few months, I backed a couple more projects on it. And then um, I think it was actually Joe in the end suggested we try and crowdfund stiffs because we were paying Gav for the art. We'd have to pay for printing as well. Um we didn't use Kickstarter because this was at the point when Kickstarter was only really available to people in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, so we used Indiegogo uh, to fund stiffs. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was my first experience of sort of running a, a crowdfunding thing, but with with two other people as well. I didn't see that. That's interesting because I had no idea that stiffs was crowdfunded. It was. Um to be honest, it was mostly our friends who backed it. Uh, I don't think there are very, very many people that none of us know who who, uh, who ended up backing it. Um, and, you know, we were very in, inexperienced at this point. We didn't know how much a five-part series was going to cost, so we didn't ask for enough money. 
Um, basically, the crowdfunding got us through to issue three, and now the rest of it we're having to fund ourselves. And, you know, we, we've we talked about going back and trying to fund the last two issues, but we sort of also feel that would be taking the mick a bit since we've already done crowdfunding for it, so we're just biting the bullet and getting it getting it uh, paid for. Sorry, PJ, are you still there? Yes, yes, I'm still here. Hello? Oh, I've lost you, haven't I? Hello, PJ? Hello? Okay, I don't think you can hear me, PJ. I'm just going to... I've lost you for a minute. Hello? Oh, damn. John? John? Okay, maybe... Uh, are you there? Oh, hey, PJ, there we go. back. Hey. Uh, sorry about that. No, it looks like uh, I'm getting a little thing saying that Zencaster had an error or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, uh, okay, well, sorry about that. Uh, we got as far as you said uh, something along the lines of you'd thought about going, maybe not going back to Indiegogo, I think? Yes, yeah, we didn't want to crowdfund the last two issues of Stiffs after we'd, uh, you know, the end of the day, we didn't ask for enough money, that was our mistake, and we only just made our target anyway, so if we had asked for more, we still probably wouldn't have got it. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the final two issues are being funded by ourselves, Um and but yeah, it's, that that was my first certain experience of running a crowdfunder. Although I, I have to say, I probably wouldn't use Indiegogo again. Ah, no, that's interesting. I mean, how would you? Uh, I guess you know, make, any initial thoughts? I guess we could contact touch on this at the end. But kind of like, why why is that? What kind of what do you think were the failings of Indiegogo as compared to like Kickstarter? The only reason I would I would say is because on Indiegogo, you still get the money even if you don't hit your target. Mm -hmm. um, and if that, if we hadn't hit our target on Stiffs, but we had uh, still got all the money, and it wasn't enough to do Stiffs with, you know, what would we have done? Spent a little bit of it, and then had to say to people, "Oh, we haven't done it, but we've also spent your money." So it's, I think, it's a bit dangerous um, to be honest. If you don't hit your target, but people still give you money, so um, that's why I sort of do prefer the Kickstarter method of you only get the money if you hit your target. Well, this is something, yeah, this is something that's crossed my mind as well, because, you know, if, uh, you know, what do you do? Do you make half a book? If you make half your target, do you make half a book? Mm. I could think of, like, some circumstances where it might work maybe better than Kickstarter. I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, these hypothetical situations, but maybe if, like, the, the product is going to get made anyway, yes. perhaps, and it's like... It's more a case of time frame. Like, I, if we don't make our target, then, hey, it's going to take us five years to do. But if we do make our target, we could do it in, like, two years or something like that. Yeah. So maybe maybe we're just going to speed things up. But, uh, okay, so that, so I guess then the Trolltooth Wars was actually the second crowdfunding campaign you've done, unless there was another one kind of hiding no, no. somewhere in between. Uh, second one I've done, first one I've done solo uh, that I've sort of completely run myself and uh, and been fully responsible for. Okay, so uh, a few minor technical difficulties aside, I think we're both back on track. So, PJ, without missing a beat, 
Uh, how did the Trolltooth Wars come about? Because you were obviously a fan of the original franchise. I was, yeah. Um, the fighting fantasy series, uh, the whole, all the books, there's a very strong visual element to them. All the original books were illustrated by fantasy artists uh, of the time. Um, if you're big on your fantasy art, you'll know some of the names, Russ Nicholson, Malcolm Barter, Ian McCaig, um, John Blanche, people like that, and a whole host of others. Um, and they're all really, really, really good illustrations. They're very, very, very impressive. Um, but it meant that there was a very strong visual sense of the world as well. And I always sort of had this idea in my head when I started getting into comics and sort of could realize what they could do, that something based in that world would be very good, uh, very good subject matter for a comic. Um, and since you already had this, this novel, there's several novels that they ended up doing, but this first one uh, used a lot of the characters and locations from the game books um, and would be a great place to start. So I always had the idea there in my head that it would be something good to do. And then it was a case of, well, why, why not me? Why don't I do it? So, when I was delirious through lack of sleep at five o'clock one morning, I just fired off an email to uh, via the Fighting Fantasy official website um, inquiring about the rights. And later on that day, I had an email back from Steve Jackson himself. And it just went from there, really. Oh, wow. So, of course, this is something with quite an established fan base and a fan community. I mean, mm. do you think this was kind of... And I guess when... Was that a consideration when you thought about how are we going to do this? How are we going to make it reality? I mean, going to Kickstarter with with this kind of community behind you that seemed like a good decision. I think did that was that your immediate thought. It was certainly in my mind um, that if we did go crowdfunding for it, which I figured from the beginning we probably would have to. Um, though obviously, in, until I've spoken to artists and everything, I didn't have anything one hundred percent. But I certainly figured if we did go to crowdfunding for it it would help us that there was this established following for fighting fantasy fans who had already successfully crowdfunded a number of other fighting fantasy related projects. Um, there'd been a, a coffee table book, a couple of uh, games, things like that, that had run on Kickstarter tied into the brand that had made their targets and then gone over. Um, so that was certainly there in my mind that if we did have to go crowdfunding, that would, that would be of help to us. So was the idea that you were kind of, you know, once you kind of convinced them that you were the person for the job and that you had the relevant skills to make this happen, was it then essentially kind of handed over to you? It was like, well, you know, yeah, you have our blessing. Please make this happen. You know, go run the Kickstarter campaign. Campaign Because you mentioned that um, this is the first one you'd run on your own, as it were. So did it just kind of fall on you to put everything together and make it happen? Yes. Um, basically, I... Uh... There wasn't so much of a vetting process, if I'm honest. It was simply a case of me buying the rights. I paid money. To oh, them. I see. Right. Um, so I, I, but on the proviso that you know, I figured this was something I I could do well um, and get a product out there and and actually start selling it. So I I spent my own money to buy the rights, um, and then pretty much was left to it. I was when running the campaign. Obviously, I had. Uh, you know, Steve Jackson and Ian Livingstone and other people involved in fighting fantasy all helped push the campaign. They, they, they share it on social media, etc. cetera. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, the actual running of the campaign and everything, everything else there, that was, that was down to myself. 
So was Gavin, did Gavin immediately come to mind as the artist? Um, no, because obviously I, you know, I'm a big fan of Gavin's work. He's one of my favourite artists working in comics, full stop. He's, he is pretty amazing. Exactly. Um, but I figured, well, he's in the middle of drawing stiffs and I don't know if he'd want to. So I didn't want to just approach him. I, I just sort of put it out there on on Twitter, any artists interested in drawing a fantasy graphic novel? And Gavin was the, came back to me and went, uh, yes. And it's been <laughs> looking for something fantasy to draw. He was obviously like, why, why the hell didn't you contact well, me? Basically, yeah. So we had a meeting, we talked about it, and we sort of decided this is going to delay issue four of Stiffs because we're going to have to, just because the rights uh, lapse after a certain time. So we would have to make Trolltooth Wars the priority. Um, so as long as Drew and Joe were okay with it, and we, we put a message out to the Stiffs fans saying issue four is going to be delayed because of this. Um, then we'd go for it and everyone was happy and to do that. Uh, Gav then did say to me as well that, um, because I, I said to him, look, I'll pay you, you and I will get paid equal shares of the royalties from the book. Because some of the, some of the cost from it, from the book will go back into reprinting it. Some of it still has to go to Steve Jackson. Um, so I said to him, but the rest of it will split evenly. Uh, and so he, very kindly slightly reduced his page rate for me um, <laughs> to make it e easier to hit the target we'd need on the Kickstarter within that. But yeah, no, when, when Gav said he was up for it, I was very, very happy because I knew it was something he'd be able to knock out of the park. Well, this is something I noticed very, uh, a lot actually when people are running, uh, say, a Kickstarter because, you know, while, you know, the troll, you know, while fighting fantasy and, you know, troll tooth wars is not you know, say a property that you created, it's clearly something, you know, you cared about a lot because you wouldn't have done this if it wasn't something you were enthusiastic about. But, you know, it is like a labour of love in a way yeah. because you're obviously not collecting a salary for your work in in writing it or kind of running the Kickstarter. Yeah. I'm I'm not making a penny until the book is out there. As I say, I've, I've already paid out for the rights. So at the moment, I'm out of pocket for Trolltooth Wars. Um, so... Once it's out there and it starts selling, yes, I'll start getting some uh, some some money for it. Uh, hopefully, but it is funny, isn't it? Because like you know, you uh, you know, you're running the Kickstarter, and as you mentioned earlier, it seemed like you know, fourteen odd grand seemed like a hell of a lot of money. Mm. But in this weird way, it's like it's not going to you as such. Yeah. You know, it's like this is the cost of you know making the book a reality. This is you know allowing Gavin to you know it's keeping Gavin in like food and shelter or as he exactly. as he works on this. You know it, it's it's a funny thing because you know you almost feel like oh yeah we did it we did it we're, we're rich. It's like no no it doesn't quite work that way. Like we're just the curator of that cash and that's going exactly to the valuable lifelines. So look when did when did the project uh, launch then? When was uh, when was it live on Kickstarter? Uh, it launched. It's been a little while now, if I'm honest. Um, it was, I believe, March 2015. Uh, either March or April 2015, we actually launched it. And how did your month go? I mean, how how did you find it? Oh, it was so stressful. <laughs> it was, I'm not going to lie, John, it was a difficult month. Um, the, the project started really well. We'd hit... Mm -hmm. I think in the first couple of days, something like twenty percent of our of our target, um, and then it really slowly petered off um, uh, till 
we would be lucky to get a pledge a day for most of the month. And then other there were other days. Unfortunately, like every other website going, Kickstarter has trolls on it. Mm. So we had our our highest level was, I believe, something like um, 400 odd pounds for someone to pledge. And they would get every reward we were offering, uh, which meant um, they'd get original artwork drawn into the book. They'd get some prints, badges, the uh, book signed by us and Steve Jackson, numbered copies of the book with limited edition book plates. But we guaranteed the highest level backer would get book number one. Yeah. Um, and there was one day when we were in the middle of the Kickstarter when both Gavin and I were going, are we going to make this? Are we not? God, this is difficult. Where somebody pledged that level and we got very, very excited. And then an hour later, they removed their pledge. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just, oh. And that was one of the days where we actually ended on less money than we started, which happened a couple of times as well. Oh, my God. So yeah, it was it was a difficult month, but then the last couple of days it all just kicked off massively again, um, and suddenly we were hitting our target and just over it. And so yeah, uh, but no, it was it's because trying to put the book out there as best you can, and there's only so many ways you can tweet about it or post about it on yeah. Facebook, and you ask other people to share it. I went to a number of the celebrities I'm following on Twitter and any chance you can share or retweet this. Some of them very kindly did. Some of them completely ignored me. Um, one or two of them actually had a look at it, said this looks really good and, and tweet just tweeted about it, not retweeting me, just wrote their own mm-hmm. lovely tweets about it. Um, I managed to get a couple of websites to interview about me about it and post about it. But, you know, you sort of feel that was all within the first week. You sort of start to feel after that, there's not much more I can do. Okay, so uh, slight little technical wobble again. Uh, I swear this program worked wonderfully last time. But it's, it's me, let's... technology, and me. We do not get along. <laughs> no, no lies, lies. Well, let's blame other people for our problems. We're we're both perfect. Oh, um, okay, so what I was asking before we had that little uh, wobble was, um, you know, how you felt about that kind of established Kickstarter truth, which everyone bandies around. That you know, you get a great surge of interest at the beginning. And you'll get a great big surge of interest right at the end, but then you get a big lull in the middle. I mean, do, was that something that kind of rang true for you? Oh, very much so. Very much so. It, it's, um, yeah, there, there were days when I think we got at least one pledge every day, but then you'd also have days where you'd lose a couple of pledges, which, you know, people check and they realize, oh, I actually can't afford this. Fair enough. But it means that one or two days we ended on less money than we'd started that day on, and those were the worst. Those were just so disheartening. It can be so dispiriting, can't it? Because, uh, I mean, ultimately, there's a happy ending because yeah. you hit your target. But the thing is, like, you as a creator have to somehow keep your energy levels and enthusiasm up for four weeks. Yeah. Like, it's asking, even on the bad days, like... It's wonderful, you know, if, say, in that first week or day, you get incredible surge of interest, but somehow you have to keep powering through. And it can be, it can be absolutely draining. Like, I've fallen ill pretty much every time I've run a Kickstarter. <laughs> and I think it's just purely the stress. I mean, um, one time I got labyrinthitis. Uh, you know, I ran myself ragged the first time we ran a Kickstarter. I, I got food poisoning like the moment we launched the Sandwich Maskers Kickstarter, which I think is just cosmic irony on a sick level. Um, 
When when you launch, do you feel like you hit the ground running? Like the moment you clicked go, did uh you know was the community? Did they know it was going to going live at that moment? Did they know that? They knew the moment it was turning on. Did they know to get in there early and back it? We had started, uh, not massively, but we had started promoting it before we launched it. Um, I think we launched it on a Tuesday. And so sort of from the Friday before, we'd been saying, this is going to be launching soon. This is coming. Here's who's doing it. Keep an eye out for it. Um, and yeah, I I launched it and then spent an hour sat by my computer hitting refresh, tweeting about it, going, check this out, check this out. And money did start coming in pretty much straight away, or pledges, I should say, sorry. Um, and then I, I finally decided, right, I've got to step away from the computer, go and, you know, get dressed, have a shower, all that stuff. So I did that, came back to the computer again, hour, two hours later, maybe. And the amount we'd made in that short time was was pretty good and we'd already become a kickstarter staff pick um mm. so kick we were appearing towards the front of kickstarter friends i knew who'd written for websites had already posted um like joe had posted a piece on on bleeding cool um and other other people i know had posted in various places so it really did feel like we had massive momentum on the first couple of days um to the point where someone emailed me, they have a, a, some Kickstarter analytics site that they were part of, which sort of said, you're definitely going to hit your target. In fact, go this far over it, but that's based on you receiving the same amount every day, which, of mm -hmm. course, doesn't happen. Um, but, yeah, no, the first couple of days were really exciting. It was, it was, there was quite a buzz going, this, was, this is, this is going to happen. And then complete change two weeks later when Gavin and I are sitting there trying to go, we need a backup plan, we're not going to make it. So it's, it's, it really is a massive up and down ride running a Kickstarter. Well, do you feel that, I mean, I guess the principle of Kickstarter, the idea behind it is really, I guess, sound and noble even. You know, this idea that uh, if you have a good enough project, you present it to the audience, uh, you know, if it stands on its own two feet and is, has merit, then people get behind it and back it. I think that sounds wonderful, like on paper. Yeah. But kind of, I feel the reality of it is like when there are a hundred projects running, when there's two hundred projects running, you know, how do you, how on earth do you stand out? And I feel, I don't know how you feel about this, but I know like when I ran, uh, when I did my first Kickstarter, I felt I had, I relied very heavily on the support of my friends and family. Yeah. And, and kind of fans because we were, relatively new we were an unknown quantity uh we had some fans but we didn't have certainly we were not a well-known brand at all so you know it's kind of like you the people who knew it you had to turn to you know saying hey guys i'm running a kickstarter you may have noticed could you give us a hand that kind of thing and it felt like you know i didn't like it but it felt like almost like begging in a way like kind of going to people and saying like hey guys any any pennies you could throw away would really help but i know when we ran the second Kickstarter, which was for uh, the Book of Life, mm. like the collected edition, we seem to attract more kind of, um, I, I guess you call them like a casual Kickstarter backer, like people who don't know your book, who are just browsing Kickstarter for like a fun little project. I mean, I wonder what your experiences were that on that word. Did you find that like you were getting people who maybe didn't know you, didn't know the project, but just looked at it and thought, this is a great looking project? Uh, yeah, I think... I do have to come at this from a slightly different perspective with this because, again, we've got – we had the inbuilt Fighting Fantasy fan base. So I think we had a few different groups of people backing. Fighting Fantasy fans, um, people who knew 
mine and Gavin's work, whether that's friends and family or other people who just happen to have read something else we'd done and enjoyed it. And yeah, we had a few people. In fact, I think the person who went for our highest level pledge in the end isn't a fan of fighting fantasy or me and Gavin. Uh, he's someone who, when I had a look, he just spends a lot of money on Kickstarters all the time um, mm-hmm. and gets cool stuff back for it. So I think we had, we had a healthy mixture of, of all the different fan bases. But what I found interesting was I've sort of gone back and spoken to my backers afterwards. And uh, it turns out most of them don't read comics or aren't big on fa- the fantasy genre. They're purely, certainly from the fighting fantasy backers, that's where it stops. I said, mm-hmm. you know, what other fantasy stuff are you into? And I had one or two people sort of say, oh, I like uh, Terry Pratchett or like Tolkien, you know, the, the obvious ones. Um, but everyone else was like, oh, I don't really. I just like fighting fantasy. That's it. Or other comics, if you read, oh, I don't read comics. I just like fighting fantasy. So uh, that's probably where the majority of my my backers came from. Well, did you find, I mean, in those kind of, um, I'm wondering if you do this as well, because I know I did. I think you can, I certainly couldn't help but do it. But you had a, you had a fantastic looking project. I mean, like I, when I went to back it, I did it because, you know, I knew you, yeah. I liked your work. You're not, you're a lovely guy. I think oh, we all know you. that. And I was like, I want to, you know, I want to help, you know, PJ and Gavin do this great thing. It looks cool. And, but also it was a great looking project. Mm. Like it looked fantastic. So on those kind of like darker days when, you know, the project was kind of struggling a bit, did you ever find yourself looking at other projects like your peers, your kind of like your neighbors in that month on Kickstarter thinking, well, hang on a minute. Why is it that my book appears to be struggling today, but they're doing so well? Do you ever get that weird thing where you're like, I can't see why, you know, you, you find yourself comparing and contrasting, thinking like, what am I doing wrong in a way? Or, you know, what are they doing right? Um, yeah, I did. I would go on the uh, on the page and look at what Kickstarters were sort of performing around other comics that were out there or other, other uh, RPG-related Kickstarters, perhaps. Just have a look at them and think, well, what's what's going on with them? I mean, if they'd only just launched, obviously, I think, well, you've got the first couple of days, the surge we had as well. So that's, but when it's one which uh, maybe launched a similar sort of time to ours and was getting backers in every day, and I couldn't really see why they were and we weren't. So, yeah, there, there was an element of almost jealousy. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I agree entirely. And I think uh, you'd have to. I think you'd have to be incredibly saintly not to feel that way because I, I think it's not a case of saying it's not like you're looking at looking at another project which is succeeding like or doing exceeding like doing really well. Hmm. It's not like you're looking at them and saying like, well, I'm better than them. It's not that. It's more a case of saying I'm not worse than them. Yes. You know, you think like I'm not saying mine is better, but at the same time, I'm not saying that mine is objective. I can't see that mine is objectively worse than what you're doing. And I think this is where kind of like. The Kickstarter thing, look, you know, the, the idea behind Kickstarter is good on paper, but maybe doesn't quite translate into reality because all projects are not equal. No. And you could have two projects going uh, for similar amounts, but one may, for example, have a much bigger online presence than the others. And if you having an established fan base is always going to serve you better than being mm. an unknown, unknown quantity. Um, another question I want to put to you is... Um, did you do you feel that b 
because because uh, I, I as I understand it, when you were running the Kickstarter, it was saying like, "Hey guys, this is the amount of money we need, and if we get this money, we will make this book." As opposed to, "Hey guys, the book is all made. We're just doing a print run." Yeah, I, I, this is something I've seen a lot, and those Kickstarters seem to do so much better than Wong's, which you're kind of building from scratch. Yeah, I think it's because they all they need is the money for the printing. If we had only had to go to Kickstarter to ask for the money for printing, um, I think we'd have smashed our target very early on because we could have offered the same rewards, but because we needed the money to pay Gavin as well, um, then that's that's what took, made it so high. Um, so, yeah, I think it's much easier to run a Kickstarter just for the printing if you've already got your product. And not just because of for the money, but for the time factor as well. Um, Trolltooth Wars is massively late at the moment. You know, we, we sort of, it's over a year after we originally promised it, just simply because Gavin did not expect it to take it nearly this long for him to draw it. That's a learning experience for both of us. Um, it's not something we can change now. It's something we've apologized to the backers for numerous times. Um, but it's it's something that is there. It's something that we have to acknowledge. Whereas, obviously, if you're just going for a print run, the book's already done. The only difficulties you're going to have are if difficulties arise with the printer. Now, We've done everything we can to make ours as smooth as possible. We already have a printer lined up. We've been speaking to them, and it should simply be a case of once the book's done, it goes to them, it gets printed. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm I'm jealous of those products that are finished before they even hit Kickstarter because that would have made our lives so much easier. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Do you think it's like a, a trust thing? Because if you have, like, say, an established uh, fan, like, or say a fan base, like people love your work, you've got previous form, you know, they're like, well, hey, he's doing a new book from scratch. Hey, I love his previous stuff. He's always delivered. Fine, it's a sure bet. Maybe it's kind of like, um, maybe it's kind of like people investing Mm. on the stock exchange or something like that. Like they go, well, this book is already made. So if I give them £10 or whatever for a copy, there are fewer steps between me giving them the money and getting it at the end. Whereas like, and this is something we found when I did my first Kickstarter because it was a very similar situation to you. We were trying to raise the money to pay all the artists mm. to uh, kind of, you know, do everything, uh, cover the administration costs, pay the artists, do the printing. And, um, yeah, it's like, I guess, to, to, uh, to a backer who comes across your project, doesn't know you, doesn't know your past work, doesn't know if you're reliable or anything, they're like, well, they've got nothing to show for it. Like, at the moment, it's all kind of dreams and fairy dust yeah. like it's, it's it's that's where that's where the tough sell comes because you're kind of like you're having to sell yourself as well as the pro- as well as the project completely i think with ours as well because a lot of the backers have come from the fighting fantasy side of things they don't know comics they certainly don't know indie comics and how indie comics don't tend to release on a schedule because it's just a couple of guys it's not a big company behind it, pushing it. But I think these backers see fighting fantasy and, and some of them think, well, why isn't it here now? And, you know, I I get it. I get where they're coming from. Obviously, I see it from the side of a creator who knows how to make indie comics, has a lot of friends who do indie comics and see that as well. Um, and, you know, it is a long time to wait. Um, but it's, it's, it's a difficult balance because – we have had some pretty negative comments on, on the Kickstarter now. Um, 
not, which is not good. It's disheartening for us, and and you know we can only apologise for it being late so many times. So it's 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 a very difficult one, and you, to respond to and to to sort of explain to them that we are doing everything we can to get this to you, but um. It's yeah. This this I think has actually been the hardest part of it for us. Has has been the fact that it has taken a lot longer than either of us expected. And what what some of the people who've backed it don't seem to understand is we're the ones who are most unhappy about that. They can kick off as much as they like. No one is more unhappy about the fact it's taken this long than me and Gavin. It's simply that's simply the fact of it. Uh, well, but if, yeah, that's how if, it is. If I, if I may, I mean, like uh, as one of your backers for this project. And I think I've, I think I've said this to you mm. off the mic as well. I actually, I, 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 maybe I'm coming from this, uh, maybe I'm coming at this from the perspective of a fellow creator. So I, but for me, it's like, I know this stuff happens occasionally, yeah. you know, and, and sometimes, and, and the fact is like, if, if you had the resources of say Marvel or DC, you know, a, you'd probably be doing this full time and you'd have an infinite amount of yeah. time resources to, to work on this. And B, you probably wouldn't have gone to Kickstarter in the first place. Like, you know, if you had the capital up front, this is the thing. It's like, you know, I think you two have done a wonderful job of keeping in touch with the backers. Uh, Because I know sometimes delays are unavoidable. And I think think you've done a really good job of engaging the community and saying to people, hey, look, guys, you know, sadly, this has happened. But hey, look, here here is sample art. Like, you've, you've always got a good made a lot of effort to show that it is being worked on and this money is being put to good use. I mean, you do hear horror stories. I mean, I, I heard one the other day of um, a similar, you know, a graphic novel, which uh, after hitting its target, uh, the creator kind of just disappeared. Yeah. Just completely went off the radar. And, you know, you can see from the perspective of those backers, they're like, well, heck, like, have I just been... Have I just been robbed? Like, you know, this person's deleted their email, their social media, like everything. Whereas like, this is the complete opposite of what you're doing because I get to see, well, frankly, weekly updates on how the project is coming along. And I know you guys are, you know, working, you know, your socks off to bring it to me. So I guess speaking as one of your backers, I have no problem with that at all. Well, thank you. I think it's, there's an element of the people who are making the sort of the most noise about it being late is the same three or four people. Um, we've got 356 backers. Most of them we haven't heard a peep from, you know, they're just happy to sit there and wait for it quietly. And, and you know, or if they are unhappy, they're not taking to the internet to, to moan out loud about it. And, and I appreciate that too. Um, I'm fully aware that the vast majority of our backers either don't care either way, they know they're going to get it and that's fine, um, or are quietly supportive. But it does mean that when we get the odd backer who posts, like we did actually earlier this week, to say, I don't care about the delays, this is looking awesome, I'm still excited for it, whenever it comes. That's great. We love that because the we've had – and as I say, it's I can't get too – uh, annoyed at the people who post negative comments about it because there have been these massive delays and and you know I understand it's it's a project that they were excited for that they've been waiting for a lot longer than they expected to but it's still nice to get people who sort of understand and actually tell you that uh, because we hear the the other side of it more um, mm-hmm. and again I know it's the minority but they're also as ever it's the people who are angriest that are the loudest about it so. What can you do? 
Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're back in the room. Uh, I would like to apologise for the general technical disarray which has just bedeviled this entire entire interview because it's been a great interview, I swear, and I have absolutely no idea what it will sound like when you're listening to it because the damn software has crashed time and time again. So given that the universe clearly doesn't want us to talk, we're going to start wrapping <laughs> this up. So... Uh, PJ, we've we've you've talked a little bit about the aftermath. Yeah, I just want to say, like now, as as you sit here today, how, what are your thoughts on the whole experience now? And um, I guess also, how are things going on the project? Do you th- is there light at the end of the tunnel? Uh, in terms of the project, yes, there is. Um, Gavin is so close to to the end now. Um, we are nearly at the phase pencils and inks those are the bits that take the longest and he's he's nearly finished those once those are finished the colors and the letters go in and everything but that we've got other people actually now helping out with the colors um so we're hoping that that shouldn't take too long so yeah we are we're so close to being finished now it's 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 tantalizing um the whole aftermath is it's been difficult just because of how much longer it's all taken for a variety of reasons. Uh, it's taken, taken longer. Um, I won't bore you with those now, but, um, it is at the end of the day, I figure it's all been a learning experience. You know, I've, I've certainly learned a lot about it. It's the first time I've done a graphic novel of this length. Um, same for Gavin. So we've both learned a lot in terms of that. Um, I don't think I would want to crowdfund a graphic novel of this length again, unless I'd managed to get at least a large chunk of it completed beforehand. That was going to be my next question, actually. I was going to say, like, you know, do you feel, you know, I don't know, do you feel older, wiser as a result? Uh, Maybe, maybe you know, this has left you better equipped to run a new Kickstarter? Or do you think at the moment it's maybe you're just looking forward to a bit of peace and quiet, perhaps? Uh, Yeah, I I definitely feel both older and wiser. Um, I would... I would run another Kickstarter um, if a project came up that I felt uh, felt it could benefit. I wouldn't want to do another Kickstarter for something like this. Um, I think if, if I was going to run a Kickstarter, I'd look to do it for an, an actual individual comic, um, single issue rather than a graphic novel. Um, if I could pay for a bunch of the art up front so I had a lower target, great. And also, so that the artist had been able to do more of it before we'd started crowdfunding, because I'm of the opinion with with a comic, if you can kickstart the first issue, um, you should then be able to sell that issue to fund the second issue. You should. Well, do you often do you often find that certainly like when you're doing these larger graphic novel projects? I mean, the hardest part, if you are not say a writer and artist is, is simply getting that capital up front yeah. to yeah, it's production costs, which are, which are frankly the biggest obstacle to getting a, to getting a comic made. And I think this is where, I think this is where kind of like, I guess the industry that you and I find ourselves in, which is indie comic books, I think finds it a little harder than say web comics. Yes. Because I, I think some of like the most successful Kickstarters for comics I've seen are ones which are simply doing a print run. Well, not simply, because obviously there's a lot of work that's yeah, gone yeah. into it, but doing a print run for what is a very successful, long-running webcomic. And I, I think these are the real runaway success stories. Um, but um, if you are a writer, 
trying to make comics, uh, it is that it is an extra hurdle to have to overcome, like trying to find, get the money together because yeah. the production costs are, are really steep. Artists aren't cheap. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot online recently about people approaching artists and wanting to do work for free. And I do disagree with that because that is how artists, you know, artists, their art is their living and they need to make money to be able to do that. So they have to charge for it. That is perfectly, you know, you wouldn't ask any other profession to not charge for it. So why should you with an artist? But of course, that does mean that as writers who can't draw, we have to get the money to pay the artists. And it can be this, difficult. It really can. It, it really, no, this is the problem. And um, I, I, I wish I could. I wish I was artistically minded. I, I really do. But this is the kind of the the weird life I've kind of found myself in. I think I think for both of us, I'm sure life would have been a lot easier if we'd, we'd just decided to write a novel yeah. instead, instead, because at least then you only need you only need paper and it's all in black and white. But um, a, for some reason, we feel drawn to comics. Which why are, I hate artists who can also write. Um, oh, my life. <laughs> Gavin recently started dabbling with, uh, with writing a comic and he's shown me the scripts for it. And in my head, I was going, this is really good. You don't need me anymore. Fuck. And out loud, I was like, um, yeah, it's quite good. It's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> like, you, you you feel like, um, I don't know, you feel like only half a person. It's like these really talented people, they could write and draw, and here I am just smashing words onto a page. It's terrible, yep. really. Yeah. We're doomed. When that, when that, like, full creator revolution comes along, <laughs> like, we're going to be, we're going to be the first against the wall. We really are. Uh, well, look, um, perhaps in summary, are there any, you know, are there any kind of pearls of wisdom you could uh, give to people considering running a Kickstarter? I mean, like, what would you say is the biggest, I don't know, maybe not tip, but the biggest trick or lesson you learnt for like a, for, for, as a positive thing? And what was maybe like the biggest kind of obstacle you overcome? So like, let's have a, like a positive and a negative. Uh, positive, I would say, is... Um there are people out there willing to help you push it. There are going to be people out there willing to help you promote it. You, if you put the work in, you will get something out of it. Um, and running a Kickstarter is, is part of the job. Now, if you want, if you want to crowdfund a comic, that's great, but you have to accept that the Kickstarter is, is you can't just sit there and let it, you know, ignore it for a month. It's, it's, that's your job for a month. And once you accept that, you should do well on it. And that's something I sort of learned. And, uh, and, and yeah, if you accept that, you'll get there. Uh, negatives, you're going to get people who are negative about the project. It's just going to happen. And it's a lesson I still haven't fully learned myself, but you need to just try and ignore them and get on with it. Um, and I would also say the one thing you need to try and do is make sure you can get as much of your project done before you start your Kickstarter as is humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Or um, be a be a really successful webcomic. Yep, do that. That's a good yeah, tip. I think if you've uh, if you've managed to uh, forget that you're running any really successful webcomics with thousands of followers, maybe just uh, double check your projects if you have one of those in the cupboard. I, I suggest dusting it off and uh, running a Kickstarter because I think I think you'll do very well out of it. Well, uh, PJ, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you for bearing with us through some uh, <laughs> truly, truly soul-rending technical difficulties. But I think we just about made it to the end. Yes. Um, 
Aside from obviously the Troll Tooth Wars, uh, do, you, do you even have time to work on anything else at the moment? Are you working on anything else? At the uh, I am, but I've sort of decided for the sake of my Troll Tooth Wars backers, I'm not going to start publicizing it until Troll Tooth Wars is done. I sort of, I'd feel guilty if I released or started talking about other projects out in public while they're still waiting for this book that's massively late. So um, watch this space is all I can say at the moment, really. Well, I have to say that is very responsible of you. Um, I, like I said, I, I have seen some horror stories on Kickstarter. I've seen people, you know, because I think ultimately you have to respect the backers, don't you? Yeah. And even even if they're unhappy, you know, as you say, you're trying to understand why they're unhappy and you do sympathise with them. But, you know, I think a classic one is maybe like abandoning one project to start another yeah. or kind of a classic one is seeing the booking stores before it's gone to the backers. Yes. Like, that seems to be a, a terrible one to do. But... Um, but no, I think I think you, as you've kind of stressed over the last hour, I think you're handling this very, very admirably and responsibly. Um, so I guess the final thing is, where could where could we find your stuff? Like, if people like uh, have liked listening to you, they've liked everything you've got to say. Like, where would you want them to go to kind of get more of you? Uh, well, you can buy stiffs at uh, www.stiffs.bigcartel.com. It's also on Comixology. Um, Pride Adventures 2 you can also get on Comixology and if you want to check out um, uh, Supermarket Matters the sitcom I wrote several episodes of it's available on iTunes or at www.inearentertainment.com well, fantastic. Um, do you do you tweet? Can we? Do you have a Twitter? I am on the Twitter uh, I, I'm easy enough to find there it's at PJ Montgomery well fantastic uh, PJ thank you so much for giving up uh what should have only been an hour, but it's actually turned into closer to uh, two uh, of your Sunday. And uh, yeah, all the best for the project. No, thank you for having uh, me, John. It's been uh, it's been good fun. This podcast and others like it is made possible thanks to our wonderful backers on Patreon. To support Big Punch Studios as we make comics like Afterlife Thinking Semi-String, games like Sandwich Masters, and podcasts like the one you've just been listening to, head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Big Punch Studios. For just $5 a month, not only will you help make everything we do a reality, but we'll also send you four copies of Big Punch magazine a year. That's over 180 full-colour pages of comic action, featuring Cuckoos, Orb, 99 Swords and Catamarang, delivered straight to your door. This has been a Big Punch Studios production. For all things Big Punch, be sure to head on over to www.bigpunchstudios.com.